According to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. Join me once again in Proverbs chapter 20. Proverbs 20, as we're going to look at verses uh, 24 and uh, 25 this morning. Proverbs chapter 20. If it seems like we skipped over verse 23, it's because we did. We kind of covered the material with an earlier verse back in verse 10. Differing weights and differing measures, both of them are abominable to the Lord. And it's essentially repeated here in verse 23. Differing weights are an abomination to the Lord and a false scale is not good. And so that's uh, information that we covered already earlier in the chapter. So we're going to skip it. For now, we're going to move on to verses 24 and 25. Man's steps are ordained by the Lord. How then can a man understand his way? Before we get, do get started, though, let's take a moment for silent prayer, call upon our Father and His faithfulness to bless our time of study. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, we do come before you this morning thankful for grace and truth, rejoicing in the privilege and blessing that it is for us to assemble together on this day. We thank you for the truth of your word that sustains us and directs our steps. I pray that we would uh, understand uh, not only what you've designed, but also what some of the snares are that we might fall into, as uh, some folks do in uh, the concepts that we're looking at here this morning. So open our eyes, bless us, protect us, lead us. We thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, and so uh, last week we were dealing with waiting upon the Lord, and we wrapped up, I think, the last of the issues there where it says, um, do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord, and He will save you. That's verse 22. Wait for the Lord, and He will save you. And we saw that waiting is a tremendous blessing. What a joy it is to wait and uh, to uh, to trust in God and His faithfulness and to uh, to humble ourselves before Him because we're so impatient that uh, we would want a solution much sooner than God says uh, the solution is designed. And the, the design is perfect. And to try to live in, uh, in opposition to God's design is horrible. So waiting on the Lord is a tremendous blessing and it's associated with salvation. So very frequently the verb for waiting uh, on our part is connected to the verb of saving on God's part because God does the saving and uh, we see that here. Wait for the Lord and He will save you. And as we were ending our service last week, we saw the, uh, the, the testimony from David when Abigail was the instrument that, uh, that worked to save David in, uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 25. And that was the, the Nabal episode where, uh, where Abigail, uh, not only does she uh, have much more wisdom than her husband, but then she saves David in this episode. And since she gets widowed very quickly, uh, after this, then David finds a uh, godly woman there uh, to uh, to marry, and uh, it's kind of unfortunate they didn't just stick with her. He was very much uh, his trouble in in polygamy that led to multiple wives that that uh, caused different issues down the road. But uh, be that as it may, all right. So that got us past the issues there. So we're ready now to talk about our steps being ordained. Man's steps are ordained by the Lord, and thank God for that that uh, He has a plan and that He includes us as a part of His plan. And uh, it's, it's our blessing to be able to run with endurance the race that's set before us. And so we can thank 
the Lord for His wisdom and we can be obedient and humble before Him to uh, run with obedience the, uh, the race that's set before us. So Proverbs 20, 24, man's steps are, um, and, and the, the word ordained is put in italics that you read it there in the New American Standard Bible. Man's steps are ordained by the Lord. How then can a man understand his way? Uh, there really is no Hebrew verb for ordained. In fact, the Hebrew text is kind of short. Man steps from the Lord. Man steps the Lord. Uh, realizing that God has directed, God has instructed, God has designed, God has planned, God has, I mean, put the verb in there that you think fits. Um, it's our steps, but it's from the Lord. And so quite simply, man steps from the Lord. I don't mind the uh, the, the the, the term there ordained by I think that's useful it agrees with with other passages of scripture but but really it's just simply man steps from the Lord that might be the simplest way to take it um, directed by planned by all of this we understand because of the totality of scripture that that uh, describes it in this way but the fact that God's sovereignty has has set that race before us right we, we saw this in Hebrews Run with endurance the race that's set before you. So God in His sovereignty set the race before you. He planned it. He designed it. In fact, the, uh, your, your days were numbered before there was even one of them. He has a plan for your entire course of your life. That's not an excuse. And it certainly is not, uh, does not sanction fatalism. And this is where uh, Calvinists and other rigid determinists go when they think that, well, Every, uh, every step has been uh, foreordained and predestined and decreed as a part of the divine decrees. And so since God has designed every single thing, well then I'm just going um, you know, to do whatever and God's fate will, will work it out. That's not how He's designed it. And we're going to be very clear on this. Man's steps are ordained by the Lord. I'm going to show you these scriptures. And we've touched upon seven of, several of them already. Now this truth does not sanction fatalism as we have the duty to listen to the Word of God and not ignore His direction. So yes, he, he has a sovereign plan. And yes, the divine decrees have encompassed everything. But no, we are still accountable for choices we make. And we don't just throw our hands up and say, well, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. And uh, no, we are still morally accountable because He calls us to be His fellow workers. He calls us to be morally accountable for the choices we make. We do reap what we sow. And this is the design that He has put into place. So hopefully we can understand both sides of this and have the fair and balanced and accurate application when it comes to this. All right. We've covered this already uh, to some extent. We've had some previous Proverbs that have addressed similar themes. Proverbs 16 uh, verse 1 and verse 19, if you recall. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. And that was kind of an interesting verse because it, it demonstrates the fact that, that we, we have a process whereby we go from thinking to speaking, that we have a process whereby we can kind of intend something or plan something. And then uh, between the time we intend to do it and the time we actually do it, all kinds of things can be different. And we might get overruled and things might change and we might not be able to do what we originally intended. So that's why we might make these plans, but then the, the outcome might be 
changed. God may overrule. And in his, he doesn't coerce our volition, but he may adjust the circumstances as such that he doesn't permit us to do what it was that we thought we wanted to do. And so that may come at the activity stage. That may even just come at the verbal stage. And uh, if the answer of the tongue is from the Lord, then sometimes we end up having to, having to change what we say. We have to change what we talk about. So uh, this, uh, you know, this is something we're praying about now as a, as a local church that uh, I've thrown it out there that I want to do a Through the Bible series in 2022. And I'm, I'm prepping it, I'm planning for it, I'm working out the details on it right now. And uh, so is it going to be crushing and embarrassing for me if, uh, if we end up not doing it? Am I going to be, uh, no, because I'm just going to be humbled before the Lord and whatever He opens up, that's what we're going to do. And, uh, and if He allows us to do this, I'll be thrilled. If He overrules and says, no, I don't want you doing that right now, or I don't want you to do that ever again, oh, all right, Lord, you're in charge. And uh, that's what we have to do. And so this keeps us from being um, uh, extreme. And I think there's some, some hardcore extremists. And, and this is not just true in, in Christianity, where where uh, believers abuse the, the scriptures and just so uh, overemphasize the, the, the sovereignty of God that they, they, they put everything in the, in the hands of fate. You know, but this is true in Islam. This is true in the Quran that uh, the God of Islam is very much, he does what he wants. And, and that's why the, the Muslim expression is, or the Arabic expression is just, you know, inshallah, it's, it's God willing. I probably didn't say that with the right accent, but who cares? You know what I'm talking about. They say the inshallah, if Allah wills it, and, uh, and, they, and they are very much uh, enslaved to the sovereignty of, of their God as far as their Quran uh, describes it. So we have a balance. Yes, God is the absolute sovereign creator of the universe and He has ordained our steps. He has commanded the way that we should go. But He's commanded it to us volitionally so that we can participate volitionally, willfully. We can be in agreement with His plan. Just because my steps are ordained doesn't mean I'm automatically going to do them. I can defy the will of God. I can disobey. I can, I can uh, you know, try to chart my own course, do my own thing. In which case, what happens? God uh, spanks me. <laughs> it's called discipline. The love of the Father says, you're not walking right. And, uh, and all these things. So anyway, we've, we've touched on this before. Psalm, uh, Proverbs 16 and verse 1 when you get down to verse 9, uh, it says, The mind of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And so this, I think when you take verse 1 and verse 9 together, you've got the, 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 the tongue or our verbal statements in verse 1. You have the steps, which are our activities, our, our physical actions in verse 9. And of course the mind is behind both of those. The things we say and the things we do uh, both follow the things we think. And so uh, God's sovereignty is, uh, is a beautiful thing. And we can be thankful for it. And when He does overrule, when He does close a door, when God does, uh, you know, graciously redirect our steps and said, you know, you're stepping over here, I don't want you going that way, I want you going this way. Praise God for that. Thank Him for it. Be humble for it. When God told David, He said, I'm not going to let you build the temple, your son's going to build the temple. David worshipped. He fell on his face and praised God and said, hallelujah, this is great, my son's going to build a temple. And uh, he didn't just pout or take his toys and go home and get all mad or, or say, well, you know, who do you think you are? I want to do this for, for God. And that's, that's the human tendency if we get overruled. So we need to learn not to, not to do that. All right, Proverbs 19.1. 
Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than he who is perverse in speech and is a fool. All right. That's not the one I was thinking of. Let me find the correct one there. Yeah, that's not the one I was thinking of. All right, so scratch that. Psalm 3723. There was a good one there. Why am I not seeing it? Maybe I left a digit off. All right, well, I'll hunt for it and find it for you for next week. Sorry about that. Psalm 37, 23. The steps of a man are established by the Lord, and he delights in his way. He delights in his way. Now, this one is a, is a parallel in tandem. It's not opposites. It's, they're, they're, it's a synthetic parallelism. It's agreement. And... Um, the steps of a man are established by the Lord. That's on God's sovereignty side. But on man's volition side, I tell you, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you're in the Word of God, you love that. You love the fact that the steps are ordained. You love the fact that His Word is going to guide you each step of the way. He delights in His way. And um, you can read this a couple of different ways. Do you capitalize the H? Which, which He is referring to God? Which He is referring to man? Um, I kind of think the he is the believer that's, that's walking by the word of God. So this probably shouldn't even be, shouldn't even be capitalized. Um, so does God delight in his way or does the person that's following God's way delight? See? And uh, since we're just dealing with a simple pronoun there, it's not, I mean, not really explicit. You got the interpreter has to decide. But when he falls, that's not God. That's the person that's following the word of God. When he falls, he will not be hurled headlong because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. Isn't that beautiful? Robert Joel told me once, this is one of his favorite psalms, because of this verse right here. The fact that it's like the, the imagery of a little toddler, a little two-year-old, a three-year-old, a little, uh, you know, like, Re, like Re, uh, Rebecca, and she's walking along. And if you're holding the, the little kid's hand when they're walking and then they trip or they stumble, they don't fall headlong, right? They just kind of dangle there right? because you're holding their you're holding their hand and, and they dangle there like a you know, puppet on a string or whatever and then the parent can set them back on their feet again and they keep on walking. And, and really, what a metaphor, what a, what, a, what a vision for all of us walking with the Lord. We're just these little sinning toddlers and we stumble, but He's holding our hand and so we don't fall headlong, that's the key. Even when he, His permissive will allows us to trip, it's not uh, the headlong fall in... Uh, in uh, in that regard. Anyway, that's a marvelous text there in Psalm 37. How about Jeremiah 10? I know, O Lord, that a man's way is not in himself, nor is it in a man who walks to direct his steps. See, who are we? We're such finite creatures. We're so subjective. We're so personal because Clearly, uh, you know, as far as charting out our plan for from uh, Alpha to Omega, we're not in a position to do that, but God is, and He has done that for every human being, for every angel, for every volitional, we're the volitional realm of, of, of the cosmos. God has uh, charted out our course, and uh, before we've even uh, had one day, the number of our days are numbered, before we're saved, we're created unto good works, prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
God prepared every assignment that, that He's designed us to do. It's not in man to do this. Correct me, O Lord, but with justice, not with your anger, or you will bring me to nothing. You know, this is probably the biggest reason why we can't plan our own lives. We would never correct ourselves. We would never rebuke ourselves. We would never discipline ourselves because we're human. We're finite and, uh, and we're sinners, fallen creatures in Adam. And God is so gracious to not only direct our steps, but then to provide the correction when we need it. And uh, that's, uh, that's just such a treasure there, Jeremiah 10. So we have this, we have our steps ordained, we have the, the course of our life played out there. I think I've quoted, uh, not on the slide, but I've quoted Ephesians 2.10 for you already. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. So that's the design, that's the plan. Not only did He, you know, the who, what, where, when, why, and how of, of our physical birth, but our spiritual birth, when we're going to become believers, what kind of uh, spiritual work assignment He's got for us, all of that is laid out. And He designed that from the foundation of the world. So we should praise God for all of these things. His sovereignty is amazing. But it's not a license for fatalism. It doesn't sanction fatalism. I hope that makes sense. Okay? Did you have a question? Oh, did you find my typo? Proverbs 19.21. Thank you for that. Oh, that's beautiful. Proverbs 19.21. Well, that was close. I just left a digit out. Many plans are in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord will stand. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you know, and we, 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 we talk about that in different ways, you know, plans, uh, plans around here for Student housing plan that you know plans around here for all kinds of things, and sometimes the plans are manifest, and sometimes they're not. But we keep planning, we keep thinking, we keep praying, we keep looking to God for His wisdom and His guidance. So yeah, there you go. The counsel of the Lord will stand. And then sometimes we just can't even come up with a plan. We want a plan, <laughs> and so the best we can do is plan to make a plan. And we say, "All right, Lord, what now?" And uh, that's where we just simply confess our ignorance and our helplessness and, and uh, say, Lord, you're going to you're gonna have to show us what your plan is because we can't even start to make a plan related to these things. All right. Let's find some, uh, some balance to this. Let's under- recognize that we do have the duty to listen to the Word of God and to be humble and obedient, to be cooperative with the plan that He designs. And for this, I, I enjoy Psalm 25. And you may uh, have better passages than the ones I selected, but these are the ones I thought about when it comes to this, this principle anyway. In Psalm 25, it's a Psalm of David. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be ashamed. So we see right from the beginning, this is a believer that's in the Word of God, that's trusting in God on a daily basis. Do not let my enemies exult over me. He's in conflict. Indeed, none of those who wait for you will be ashamed. Not one. Okay? And then we, we, there's several, actually, psalms that address this. The, the one who trusts in you will never be disappointed, will never be ashamed. You never have a regret. I've, I never once have I met a Christian on their deathbed that regretted the time they spent in the Word of God. It's, uh, it's the opposite of that. It's, the, it's those that don't spend their lives in the Word of God. It's those that don't fulfill the race that God has set before them. That's where the regrets are. 
None of those who wait for you will be ashamed. Those who deal treacherously without cause will be ashamed. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. And so the fact that God has designed a course for your life, the fact that God has laid out your spiritual work assignments, your your earthly work assignments, the whole course of your life, God has designed these things. Uh, in, In Acts 13 where it says David had fulfilled God's purpose in his generation. That's a, that's a powerful text. So make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. It's not just a matter to, to be a slave, to be a thoughtless, obedient drone and just to float along and bounce along and say, well, God's sovereignty is directing my steps, so um, you know I don't have to think about anything. I don't have to plan anything. I don't have to no, you do. He, and part of His plan for your life is not only to ordain your steps, but to give you the mind to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So learn what He's teaching you and, and volitionally get on board and be an active participant in the, uh, the will of God. You are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, the compa- your compassion and your loving kindness, for they have been from of old do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your loving kindness, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. I'm trying to head down uh, verse 12. goes with verse 4 in this context. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore He instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in justice. He teaches the humble His way. All of this leading, all of this teaching, all of this instruction, this is this is not a puppet master. This is not, you know, like uh, uh, some of the false deistic views and other views where God just uh, creates everything, He winds up the universe, and then He steps back and He disappears with a hands-off approach. That's not how God operates. He creates everything and then He teaches and He leads and He instructs. He's very intimately involved with us on a daily basis, on a moment-by-moment basis. <clears throat> You know, if, if the fatalistic view is correct, then why does he bother teaching? Why does he bother leading? Why does he bother? I mean, it makes no sense. If he's just a puppet master doing everything that he wants to do anyway, including making you sin every time you sin, how evil is that? God is not the author of evil. But if that puppet master view is correct, then why bother teaching? See, you don't have to be a teacher, you don't have to be a shepherd, you don't have to be a leader. If you're just this rigid, sovereign, deterministic, uh, fatalistic type uh, of approach. So he leads the humble in justice. He teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are loving kindness and truth. That's a description of Jesus Christ himself. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ to those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O God, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Who is the man? who fears the Lord, he will instruct him in the way that he should choose. And this is what he's designed it to be. The Christian way of life is designed to be where humble creatures that are saved by grace through faith, where we can just fear God and learn His Word and live His Word. And uh, this is the blessing to, to follow the teaching of God and the promises that are made there. I love that. All right. How about uh, Isaiah 30 and verse 21?
there's got to be a larger context for this, but um, how much of Isaiah 30 do I want to read? Verse 18 says, The Lord longs to be gracious to you, and therefore He waits on high to have compassion on you. You know, we looked at all those verses on waiting last week, and we saw the privilege that we have to wait. Uh, I don't know that we uh, saw the, or emphasized the passages in Scripture where God Himself is waiting, that God Himself is very long-suffering, slow to anger, He's very patient. Why does God Himself wait? Because if He acts too soon, then His greater glory is not accomplished, His overall objectives fall short. So he himself, with perfect timing, finds himself waiting for certain occasions and waiting or longing to be gracious. Why can't he be gracious right away? He's sovereign, just be gracious when you want to be gracious. Do what you want to do. Why wait? Well, no, he does. He waits, he longs, he waits to have compassion. There's, there's uh, several occasions where, and this may be in the case where he's waiting for Israel to repent, he's waiting for his people to to respond to divine discipline, to be humbled and to be repentant. Uh, there may be, that could be true nationally, that could be true uh, individually for any one of us. If he's longing to be gracious, but he's waiting for us to confess our sins and get back in fellowship, then uh, this is part of his slow to anger, uh, long suffering. For the Lord is a God of justice, how blessed are those who long for him. O people in Zion, inhabitants of Jerusalem, you will weep no longer. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. When he hears it, he will answer you. And although the Lord has given you the bread of privation and the water of oppression, he, your teacher, will no longer hide himself, but your eyes will behold your teacher. Now isn't this interesting? And he's done this how many times with Israel through their history? And he's done this every time they've rebelled, every time they've followed after idols. He did it in the Babylonian captivity. He's doing it even now. He's going to do it in the tribulation for the ultimate and final time where He's going to give them over to that judgment, but He's going to teach them. He's going to use their hardships to bring them to repentance. And here He says, He, your teacher, will no longer hide Himself, but your eyes will behold your teacher. Your ears will hear a word behind you. Take this way, walk in it, whenever you turn to the right or the left. Isn't that beautiful? What a metaphor. What an image. You know, so just imagine you're walking along in the Christian way of life and you hear this little voice behind you. Turn left here. Okay? Turn right here. And this is a, okay, now this is a metaphor, all right? You should, if you're hearing voices, you know, get, get help. Okay? We're, we're not Pentecostals and Charismatics and, and we're not expecting. We, in fact, to require that kind of a verbal discussion is, is nonsensical given the, the completed canon we have as church age believer priests. But, but in, the, in the poetry of this prophetic passage and speaking to Israel as a nation, I enjoy this, this, uh, this idea very much. The idea of walking along, hearing the voice behind you, your ears will hear a word behind you, this is the way, walk in it whenever you turn to the right or to the left. And truly, when you're in the will of God, when you're prayerfully considering a choice, when you're, um, I mean, it's, you have the conviction as if you heard the voice anyway. There's not a doubt in your mind, see. When you talk about all the things that you can't talk me out of, you're not going to, there's no doubt about my salvation and eternal security. Uh, there's no doubt about my spiritual gift. There's no doubt about uh, my calling and uh, the ministry that God has opened. 
Um, you know, if, if, if I'm questioning those things 25 years later, 6,000 sermons later, what am I really doing, you know? So you have these, you have these assurances, you have these, these, um, uh, the, the assurance of being in the will of God and knowing His, His calling. And this is why, because he's been so faithful, David said this in the psalm we just read, he's been so faithful every step of the way from my youth, he's not going to abandon me now. I can keep walking with him today. He's going to lead me and direct me today. And this is uh, indeed a, a great privilege. All right, so that's Isaiah 30 and verse 21. We certainly can't ignore his direction. The worst thing you can do is when God gives you that direction and you say, eh, I don't think so. Let me see if there's something else he might say. You know, like when Balaam, Balaam knows he can't curse uh, Israel, but then he tells Balak, uh, let me go see if there's something else. You know, let me just see what else he might say. You know, because he wanted the money. Balak was going to pay him richly. And uh, so even though he knows the will of God, he says, well, let me go double check. Let me go see what else the Lord might say. No, that's defiance. That's absolute defiance. You cannot ignore his direction. Daniel 5 and verse 23. And this is the rebuke on uh, Belshazzar. Uh, this is the writing on the wall episode when uh, Babylon, the night that Babylon falls to the Persians and, uh, and they're feasting, they're doing all these things and uh, Daniel's going to come in and, re- and, uh, and rebuke him. Anyway, I don't want to read the whole chapter here. But Daniel recounts the discipline that Nebuchadnezzar went through. Daniel goes back to recent Babylonian history whereby a king much greater than than Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar was awesome, a king like Nebuchadnezzar humbled himself. He had to learn humility. He had to learn obedience. God gave him the mind of an animal for seven years. And, And I mean, you talk about a very unpleasant assignment to learn humility and to learn uh, that the Most High is, is, is sovereign over all creation. And, and even if you're a mighty king like, like Nebuchadnezzar, you're still under the sovereignty of God. And so Nebuchadnezzar learned that humility. Belshazzar has never learned that humility. And this is part of the rebuke that, that Daniel's giving him here in this chapter. He says, yet you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart even though you knew all this fully aware of, of everything that, that went on there in Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. But you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before you. And you and your nobles, your wives, and your concubines have been drinking wine from them. You have praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see, hear, or understand. All right? You know, how arrogant is this young, young king, right? And even he's only, he's only a, a half king anyway. His dad is, is really the, the real king. And, uh, but he just appointed Belshazzar to be his regent in, in Babylon while he was elsewhere. Um, anyway, a very arrogant young man. The idea that he's going to throw a party with the, uh, the vessels from, from God's temple. How evil is that? But the God in whose hand are your life breath and all your ways you have not glorified. You realize you're breathing God's air <laughs> and He's letting you. It's the grace of God that's giving you the breath you're breathing right now. And uh, in all your ways, even the unbeliever, God's uh, sovereignty is at work. You have not glorified. 
Are you ignoring His grace? Are you ignoring His direction? So then the hand was sent from Him and His inscription was written out. And so, I mean, at this point, if, if you're in such utter defiance of God's teaching, God's leading, God's direction, then even when the writing's on the wall, it does you no good. Because you can't read it. <laughs> okay? You need a believer with doctrine to come along and read it for you. Think about how lost these unbelievers are that hate God. And, and uh, I think this is what uh, is exciting me the most about our upcoming Genesis series is that we're going to have the complete laws of divine establishment. We're going to have the complete natural revelation from creation itself and God's commentary on the creation as recorded in Genesis. And we're going to have the, the, the truth that's there for anybody to see who wants to look around and see the universe they live in. And yet they're in utter rebellion against the Creator. They're against His plans for, for volition, against His plans for marriage, against His plans for family, against His plans for nationalism, against His plans for um, uh, the, the, the animal shepherding that we're called to do in, in, in creation, dominion, and all the things there. So from creation to the fall to Cain and Abel to um, Noah and the flood to uh, rain, the rainbow and capital punishment to the... Uh, the uh, Tower of Babel and the scattering of the nations, the first 11 chapters of Genesis are absolutely rejected by the world system today and all the lies of insanity that they pursued. And yet, Romans 1 says they're without excuse, that God's testimony is there to be seen by any who want to look at it. So I'm excited for that. All right. Anyway, we're going to be equipped. We're going to be equipped. All right, so that's uh, verse 24. Verse 25, it is a trap for a man to say rashly, it is holy, and after the vows to make inquiry. You see what's happening here? Decide first and investigate later. Bad, okay? Decide first and investigate later is not just foolish, it is a deadly trap. It is not just foolish, it is a deadly trap. It says here it is a trap. This is the, the kind of uh, device that would not only capture an animal, but you know, kill the animal. You, you're trapping so that you can kill and eat. This is the, the idea here. It is a trap. And so if you say it is holy, <laughs> but you don't even know, why are you speaking confidently about things you don't even know? This is, uh, this is the mark of so many false teachers that are speaking confidently over things, and they've got no idea. And, uh, and, and yet they want to be teachers of the law, they want to uh, have uh, leadership within a church. It's, it's, mar- it's um, remarkable to me how in, in our generation we've seen so many atheistic God-haters that are going to seminary and taking uh, positions in churches. And they don't even believe there is a God. But they like the... Uh, they like the uh, the opportunities that being a pastor has and the influence and the, and the um, damage they can do in promoting their, their worldview. And so they're doing it all the time. All right. Decide first, investigate later. It's a trap for a man to say rashly, it is holy. So if you declare something to be holy, in other words, if you're, if you're making a um, 
a judgment call, if you're making a determination, whether it's clean or unclean, holy or unholy, dedicated to the Lord or secular, available for, for secular use, well, as soon as you say it's for the Lord, now you're obligated. As soon as you make a vow, as soon as you obligate yourself to, to something that is uh, korban, something that is slated for destruction or slated for devotion, slated for God's good pleasure, well then now you're trapped. Okay? Now you're trapped. Um, and so then afterwards, if you kind of look into it, you're making inquiry, you're seeking God's will, this is where, um, and how many arrogant Christians just decide, you know, they're going to go off and do whatever, going to go to Mongolia and be a missionary for Jesus Christ, and they haven't even prayed about it. They don't even know if it's God's will or not. They don't even know. Or they, um, they get married and don't even know if it's the will of God. They, uh, they, but they make a vow, they make a rash decision, and, and by saying it is holy, what they're declaring is it's the will of God. They're declaring that God has sanctioned this. God has set this apart. God has designed this. Well, what if He's done no such thing? You're saying it's holy and God didn't say that. Why are you saying that? And then only afterwards you try to retroactively justify what you said. Justify what you did. It's only after the vow that you then inquire. No, no, you got it backwards. The proper role is to inquire first. <laughs> okay, Seek the Lord. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Uh, in all your ways acknowledge Him. He will direct your steps. I mean, this is what it's about. You inquire of the Lord. And these are the, in fact, this is the basis for how we taught, how do I learn what my spiritual gift is? How do I learn? Well, you consider. And what are you doing when you're considering? You're inquiring, you're asking, you're considering of the Lord. And then He provides some confirmation. And so we went through a whole series on this, on how do I determine what my spiritual gift is? And it starts with inquiring of the Lord, asking, seeking, knocking. Those principles that we see there. All right. But this whole idea is like shoot first, ask questions later, you know, you get a guilty verdict first and then you find the evidence to justify the guilty verdict. Like That's just a show trial. That's just, uh, that's, that's not justice. That's not what God's designed. All right, so that's Proverbs twenty twenty five. We had a similar uh, principle that was given earlier than this in Proverbs 18, 7. A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are the snare of his soul. So often the things we say, and by the way, it's not just because of embarrassment. You think this is just about embarrassment? Oh, no, 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 no. Embarrassment's not a deadly trap. God is the deadly trap, okay? And say, well, you know, I said I was going to do it, I'm going to do it. That's just embarrassment. Humble yourself and say, you know what? I said I was going to do it, but things change, circumstances are different, God directed my steps, so I'm not doing it now. And I've got no embarrassment over that, no shame over that. Uh, Paul didn't have any shame when he told the Corinthians uh, six different times, my travel plans have changed. Okay? They thought he was wishy-washy. Paul said, no, this is, how you, this is how you humble yourself before the Lord and you follow His direction. This proverb, none of these passages, we're not talking about just a human being embarrassed because he said something and now he feels obligated. Okay? God is the God of truth. And if you've made a vow, He holds you to those vows. You're a moral creature in the image of God. And as an image bearer 
of God Himself, having taken a vow, <laughs> He holds you to that vow. As rash as it might be, as dumb as it might have been when you said it, all right? You're an image bearer of God under a vow. And the God of I am and the God who swears by His own name, who has sworn and will not change His mind, when, uh, when we as born-again believers take vows, oh my, okay? And this is, this, is the real, this is the real issue. This, By the way, this is why divorce is such the, the evil that it is. It's the vow before God beyond the fact that you're destroying the picture of Christ in the church and you're not faithful in your marriage and all these other things. It's the vow before God as an image bearer of God Himself. How dare you? In any event, no, that's foolish. And uh, indeed you are ensnared. Ecclesiastes 5. How often do we get to Ecclesiastes? And even, <laughs> even in human viewpoint, even, uh, you know, God let Solomon write Ecclesiastes after a lengthy, lengthy season of carnality. I mean, there is such human viewpoint here. This is where Solomon just set his mind to try to find wisdom and, and try to find happiness in life apart from God's Word and how to find pleasure. And he's just living the carnal life totally out of fellowship. Ecclesiastes is the book of human viewpoint that God the Holy Spirit inspired to be in our Bibles. And so much of what we read in Ecclesiastes, we read through that filter. We realize God has accurately recorded the best picture of human viewpoint you'll ever want to find, and it's right here. So you don't have to live your own Ecclesiastes lifestyle for a season. You can just read Solomon's Ecclesiastes lifestyle, learn from his example, and get back in fellowship as quick as you can. But even under human viewpoint, Solomon understood that it's a bad thing to take a vow before the Lord that you don't intend to follow through with. Okay? He says, when you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it, for He takes no delight in fools. <clears throat> he says, pay what you vow. Don't be late. You made a vow. And so defying it is out of the question. Even being late even bending the, the, the expectations is out of the question. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Just don't even make the vow in the first place. And Jesus agrees with that. He says a similar statement. Do not let your speech cause you to sin and do not say in the presence of the messenger of God that it was a mistake. Oh, I didn't mean to do that. My bad. Okay. <laughs> you said it. You're an image bearer of Jesus of, of God in humanity. The things that humans say. You know, we don't bark, we don't meow, we're not animals. We are human beings with speech that God sovereignly designed when He gave all the languages to all the, all the uh, nations of the earth. So do not let your speech cause you to sin. Do not say in the presence of the messenger of God it was a mistake. Why should God be angry on account of your voice and destroy the work of your hands. For in many dreams and many words there is emptiness. Rather, fear God. It's a remarkable text. Four, five, six, and seven. Four verses of, of really truth. Even in a book of, of human viewpoint like, uh, like Ecclesiastes. Judges 11. 
Jephthah. Hmm. Now here are some memories for you. Like Shirley Newton is probably the only one. In fact, definitely. May 1st of 1990, I, I preached my first sermon ever. And it was a, back then Wednesday morning used to be on Tuesday morning. And uh, back when Ralph was pastor. And Tuesday morning, May 1st, 1990, I preached my very first sermon ever. And it was on Jephthah. It was right here. It was from Judges chapter 11. I kind of created a little six-part series of Bible biographies and little, little um, stories and, and applications that we can make. I don't remember what my conclusion was. I think my conclusion was don't, don't vow a foolish vow. So it's similar to what I'm preaching today. Uh, don't vow, I mean, this cost him his daughter in, uh, in this. But Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed give the sons of Ammon into my hand, it shall be that whatever comes out of the doorway of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the sons of Ammon, it shall be the Lord's. I will offer it up as a burnt offering. And I mean, we don't know. I mean, was Jephthah in a habit of coming home and his favorite dog comes out or his favorite uh, sheep or, I mean, whatever, animals? He certainly didn't expect it was going to be his daughter, clearly. So Jephthah crossed over to the sons of Ammon to fight against them, and the Lord gave them into his hand. And he struck them with a very great slaughter from Aurora to the entrance of uh, Minith, 20 cities, as far as Abel Karamim. So the sons of Ammon were subdued before the sons of Israel. It's a great victory. And this should be his crowning achievement. This should be a tremendous thing that should put him in the, the hall of fame of he ought to end up with a spot in, in, uh, in Hebrews 11, you know, as a, an amazing judge of the Old Testament functioning by faith and putting foreign armies to flight. But then he comes to his house at Mizpah. Behold, his daughter was coming out to meet him with tambourines and dancing. And, uh, you know, whatever happened, you know, he was expecting, my guess is he was expecting an animal to come out. <clears throat> and uh, whatever the case may be there, she was his uh, only begotten, the one and only child. Beside her, he had no other son or daughter. Here's a father. Is he willing to sacrifice his only begotten? And when he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low, and you are among those who trouble me, for I have given my word to the Lord, and I cannot take it back. I cannot take it back. Now the question is, he had said, I will sacrifice to the Lord for a burnt offering. And we know that human sacrifice is abhorrent to God, and, uh, and yet this is what he vowed. So what is it that he was called to do? So she said to him, My father, you have given your word to the Lord. Do to me as you have said, since the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the sons of, uh, of Ammon. She said to her father, Let this thing be done for me. Let me alone two months that I may go to the mountains and weep because of my virginity, I and my companions. Now this is curious what's on her mind. And so the question is, um, does he kill her in a, in a human sacrifice or does he dedicate her to the, to the temple so that she's, uh, she's a lifelong virgin, she's dedicated to the Lord's service, she's, and that kind of, I think, is what I concluded in my very first sermon. Now I'm not so sure. <laughs> All right. Um, I, I still think that, that, the, that human sacrifice is abhorrent and God would not have accepted the human sacrifice. But to devote her, and, and this is why she's grieving over her virginity, 
not because she's going to be killed, but because she's going to have her entire life in, in temple service and will never be married or have children or, or never uh, have the normal family life and the blessings that God has designed there. Plus the fact that um, she is his only child and what happens to his name now in, uh, in Israel when, when the, the next generation doesn't carry that forward in, in, in his uh, inheritance. So he said, go, he sent her away for two months. She left with her companions and wept on the mountains <clears throat> because of her virginity. At the end of two months she returned to her father who did to her according to the vow which he had made. Which when you read that verse says burnt offering. And um, yep, he did to her according to the vow which he had made and she had no relations with a man. Thus it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went yearly to commemorate the daughter of Jephthah the Gileadite four days in the year. They, they created a little festival for it in her name and in her honor. So Anyway, it's a rash vow. If you decide something first before thinking, before seeking the will of God, that's, uh, that's going to be a problem. And here's what Jesus says, Luke 14. Luke 14. All right. Verse 26, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Wow, what an attention getter. <laughs> they teach you this in homiletics class. Make your first statement just a, a, a forceful thing that sparks you know, outrage and thought and say, you better hate your mom and dad. You better hate your wife and children. You better hate your brothers and sisters. And he, that's, the, that's the language of extreme. It's a rhetorical device because it, it contrasts with the love for Jesus Christ. Okay? That that's the love we're supposed to have for the Lord. Cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. You got your cross with you? You carry it with you every day? He may not hang you on it today, but you better have it ready. Okay? Take up your cross and follow. Which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Nobody. That's ludicrous. There's, not, there's nobody that's ever built a tower that never uh, you know, evaluated their budget or uh, even thought about it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish it, all who observe it will begin to ridicule him. This is what I'm talking about earlier. It's not just the personal embarrassment. That's bad enough. But it's the will of God in terms of the vows that we've taken and, and uh, what He holds us to. Saying this man began to build and was not able to finish it. Or what king when he set out to meet another king in battle will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000. I mean before you engage in a military conflict you've got you to gotta understand the the forces arrayed against you, what are your forces available, what's the, what's the terrain like, what's the battlefield like, you know? <laughs> that Civil War general that said, get there the fastest with the mostest. <laughs> uh, that makes sense. You, you, you want to get to the place that, so that you choose the ground you want to fight on. It means you've got to get there first. If the other guy gets there first, then he's choosing the ground that he's going to defend or, or fight from. And, uh, and you don't want to be there with, uh, with fewer than, than they've got. So 
Yeah, get there the fastest with the mostest. It's just wisdom. Or else while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. <laughs> you know, what, what, uh, what do I need to pay you to not come here and kill me? All right. And, uh, and that's, that's common, paying tribute and, and uh, paying uh, a fee to, to not be conquered. And, and uh, you know, the invading king will decide what, you know, what's worth it to him because he's got a cost of doing business as well. So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. And I think the, the, the issue here with respect to this, to, to commit to something first and then to inquire without even knowing, how foolish, I mean, it's just, it's foolish. It's absolutely insane. And Jesus says, you don't do that in your earthly life. Why would you do that in your spiritual life? That doesn't make any sense. And yet it's curious to me that what people do. Now we've taught this before. Um, we've taught it in, uh, in basic doctrinal studies. We've taught it in, it's, it's the doctrine of bullology, the will of God. Um, different, different aspects. How do I determine the will of God? And, and what have we talked about? We've talked about inquiring. We've talked about praying. We, we said saturate it with prayer. Pray about it uh, yourself. Pray about it with your, with your wife. Pray about it uh, with your church. Come to prayer meeting. Pray about it with your pastor. Uh, and that these are, the, these are the, uh, the blessings God has given us whereby things can be confirmed with two or three witnesses. Things can be confirmed with a multitude of believers having a, a confirmation, having a conviction so that it's not just you saying. And I can't tell you how many times in, over all these years I've had brothers and sisters come up to me and say, oh pastor, uh, great news, answer to prayer, uh, I'm going to go do such and such. Wow. And that's the first I ever heard of it. I didn't even know you were praying about such and such. Really? Oh yeah, yeah. We, we were praying for it for a long, long time. We were praying for it for at least the last three weeks. Wow, three weeks. Okay. Um, man, I wish I would have known about this six months ago. You know, and then we really could have prayed about it. And we could have prayed about it together. We could have prayed about it fervently. You know, and then I get suspicious, you know, suspicious fellow that I am. Three weeks, huh? Really? More like a week and a half. <laughs> you know, I'm not saying you're lying to me. I'm just thinking these things get inflated. But it's, it's, to me it's disappointing and it's sad. Oh, you've been praying about that. I didn't know. I could have been praying with you. How about that? So in a sense, the joy is a little bit diminished. In fact, more than a little bit. The joy is diminished because you're coming to me all excited about your answer to prayer. I didn't know anything about it. So, okay. You know, I guess I'm happy for you. I would have been more on board. Here's the thing. If more people are praying for it ahead of time, then the answer to prayer is celebrated by every... It becomes not just your answer, it becomes everybody's answer. We all see that as our answer because we have been wrestling with the Lord uh, until morning daybreak when He finally lets go and says, all right, here's your answer. You see the difference? So it's not just your answer to prayer, it's our answer to prayer. And then we can have like-mindedness about this, or even better, if the answer to prayer comes that, that overrules and says, no, I don't want you to go here, I want you to go here instead. See? And then it's, wow, thank God, I was about to make a mistake, and uh, he's, he's steering me in this other direction instead. And everybody sees this. Okay? 
All right, well, that's the, uh, that's the principle there. Are we done? Yep. All right. Thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for the blessing we have to study to show ourselves approved. We thank you, Father, and we praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.